everyone. <laughs>
And I've gotten questions like, why do you call yourself that? And like, I don't think people realize that some of the first cowboys and cowgirls were Mexicanos, yes. vaqueros, vaqueras in California um, specifically. And like, that was a history my mother made me very aware of at a very young age. Like, you might see Western movies as only white men versus brown people, the Indians. But there was also Mexicanos in that time period, and they were vaqueros. Yeah. yeah. So that just brought that up for me. The Native American. Yes. The originals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, Tukta, for you, you started singing at 12 years old as the child of lime farmers in rural Thailand. Uh, your career brought you to so many places, including performing for Thai royalty. Can you talk about what Malam went, meant to people at the time? Why is the genre so magnetic? Oh, yeah. Malam is a traditional style of music that tells story about our life. It can be a mix of comedy, singing, and even like at opera. Malam sings almost like a religious we sing when there is a birthday, funeral, holiday. We sing for everything. It is so important to our culture. Um, the whole family goes to Molam show, and so it brings everyone together. Not only is about our culture as Thai people, but it's also about our history. And Tukta, amid all your success, why did you decide to temporarily walk away from, from making music? <laughs> it's really hard part to explain to because sometimes I still feel hurt or still dreaming about um, wake up and make up on. And yeah, maybe one day my wife will write a book for me sometime. <laughs> I started singing when I was so young. I felt like I missed out um, on normal life. Malam life, every heart, a very hard. And you start at nine at night until seven in the morning every day. I keep doing that for eight months every year, going around, moving around, and we use four months to practicing for a next show for next year. And it is very toxic place. I don't think for a child, I don't trust anyone. It was homesick for me. I feel lonely, and it was unsafe for a young girl like me to be around the older man than me and another people who did bad things. It's too hard. Yeah, like, I still keep dreaming about that. Wake up and make up and dancing some night. I call that is my nightmare. <laughs> when I got to America, I really felt like I could be normal again, eating pizza, gaining weight, <laughs> don't get 
up, don't dress up, and I don't have to care anymore. Thank you. And Miko, you like Tukta, you have this similar arc where you did music and then you took a break. Um, can we talk about your story? What was your initial experience within country music industry? And at the time, how inclusive did that world seem? Um, let's see. I, I started um, actually writing what people considered or who I let hear my songs um, back when I was in college. I was at Grambling State University in Louisiana, and I had wrote my first country song. But I wasn't trying to. It was just a song that I wrote, and it was called Find My Way Home. And it was about what I was doing, finding myself, like, where am I going to land, where am I going to do, live, be. And so I met my husband down there, and he was happened to be from California. And I was just like, take me with you. <laughs> and he brought me out here, and I worked a nine-to-five in early 2000s, but then he was like, quit your job. He was like, we're going to make you a demo, and you're going to put your songs out. We're going to make a three-song demo, and we're going to shop it. And so I wasn't really pursuing a music career, but I was given the opportunity to do it. And so um, I was just young, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, like, let's go to Nashville and record these records. And I did that, and... I just, I just was so idealistic about if you have a talent, everything's going to work out. You know, I didn't know about all these other things that fall into play, racism, sexism, all the things that keep you shut out. You know, I was just, so it just took the wind out of myself. I was not received well in Nashville. I, I can recall meeting with a big label, like I just, like a big label, I'm, I'm, my, my hopes are high. But they brought me in this meeting just to tell me I wouldn't sell, you know, just to tell me the music is good, but you, won't, you, you wouldn't sell. Well, then why take the meeting? This is me. Why you take the meeting if I wasn't going to sell? We could have, like, not even done this. But there was a humiliation piece that had to take place, I think. Mm -hmm. They had to, like, really hone in to me, like, you'll never make it in this town. And so um, I was discouraged. I was, I was just, like, really hurt by that, you know. So it caused me to not, not record any more music. After that happened to me, I was just like, well, I'll just sing for myself. And I still performed because there's something inside of me that has to sing, even if it's, like, in the BART station on a, on a morning at 8 o'clock a.m. when you're going to work. I'm out there singing. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I found ways to, uh, you know, get my essence out, you know. But fast forward, I took a 14-year break from recording music. And um, pre-COVID, like about November, I hit one of my friends, and you'll meet him later. Um, I was like, Justin, we need to make some music, play. We need to jam. We need to get out there, and let's do something. He was like, well... I started a record label, it's called Red Tone Records, and I wrote a song called Good Night America, Can I Send It To You? He sent me Good Night America, and that song floored me because it talked about America's wrongs and how, how they treated, you know, like really asking America to acknowledge its wrongs and put them to rest. So the song is like a lullaby, and I cried the first time I heard that song. 
And that's the song that got me back to recording um, in this way, you know. And it was, it was meant to be that song. It was meant to be that time. And so that's why I picked up, mm. picked back up. Thanks for sharing. Because mm-hmm. we've talked before. I know a little bit of your backstory. And I know at the HBCU you went to, Erica Badu was your peer. Yes. Um, I guess I'm curious, like, when you were going through this letdown of country, like, did you have any allies or peers you could, like, confide in about, like, I'm trying to do this thing, but I'm not getting the reception I want? Oh, absolutely. I've had people like Erica really encourage me and just tell me, you know, Miko is a business. And, you know, a lot of time I romanticize music because I'm all in my emotions and the spirit around it. But she's like, it's a business and, you know, just keep working. Your time will come. I've received a lot of encouragement, but I've also received a lot of discouragement. Why don't you do something else? Why don't you pick another genre that you can, you know, that that you know you'll excel in? You know, so basically being asked to change my true identity and what I wanted to do to fit a mold. So I, there's been encouragement. And she was she's, she texted me today. She is very encouraging. We remain good friends. And um, she's really proud of me because I'm 51 on this stage. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen when you want it to happen. It happens when it's supposed to happen. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tukta, I want to go back to you. Um, when you came back out of your retirement, you said that you were inspired by young queer activists fighting for rights back home in Thailand. Can you say more about this and what triggered your decision to get back into music? Yeah. When I went back to Thailand after COVID and I met young LGBT activists, Bangkok Pride stopped for 16 years because of politics. The young people were not scared and they bring back pride. They are so brave. I learned so much from them. I learned so much about why the law to protect LGBT is so important. I know that using Molam could bring people together for equal rights. So I walk into my boss office after many, many years. We never talk. <laughs> and I just told him, I want to do it. And he say, yes. <laughs> nice. Each of you have songs that are really emblematic of your return to the stage. Um, for you, Miko, it's Good Night America, which you talked about. And then for you, um, Dukta, it's Love is Love. Um, can you each talk about what these songs mean to you? Um, the s- Love is Love. The song means, uh, means so much for me and for my country. Actually, I changed the history no one sing Molam about that because kind of like really wrong for our culture. Um, you support to marry, like, you know, to be a straight or a good girl or 
good boy. If you marry, like, if I marry the man, it means like I follow the culture. My parents will be proud. So, but the song changing people's mind so much and open people so much to telling um, how different love but still beautiful because their own generation. Sometimes they misunderstand young people and they're not really connect to each other. And so I use that song to fight or solve power to make more understand and telling how beautiful love is. Mm. So no matter what. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. And Miko, how about you? If you want to elaborate. Oh, um, good, good Night America, when you hear the title, sometimes it can be off-putting, like, what are you saying? Like, Good Night America, like, are you, it's not to put our country down. I, I love this country. It's about acknowledging the wrongs that America has done to the people, you know, and it's just, it's a lullaby that's to, to ask that we all put those things to rest, you know, and build a new. It's actually an inspirational song to like look in the mirror and then change it. It's about social change, social justice. And I don't know that, you know, when I started out, I would have the courage to do a song like Goodnight America. You know, I was too scared and too, you know, too um, worried about what other people think. You know, I was in my late. 20s, early 30s, so I was really like, I don't think I would have been able to do that song, you know, back then, but you fast forward and you get a little wisdom, get a little life under your belt, and get a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of just living, you know, so I felt, I I felt like it was imperative that I do that song. It meant that I was leaving a mark after I'm gone, that meant something that mattered. And so um, I'm really glad that song came my way because after that, we just kept making them. We just kept making songs, and, uh, and it took something like that to get me back, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that song. So um, it's a lot of wisdom in it, and I'm really glad I did it. Are we going to hear that song? Yeah. You won't hear that song tonight. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I know, but we can check out her YouTube, her Spotify. Yeah, it's, it's on. It's on all platforms, and it. Um, I think the video. I'm just sitting on the couch singing this song, because hmm. <laughs> I think we did it during COVID, and um, the actual video, and then it came out um, on MLK's birthday, which I thought was so, so appropriate. Um, yeah, that's that's the jump off song. Mm-hmm. And country music, both in Southeast Asia and the United States, is both popular and very tied to politics. During, for example, during the Laotian Civil War, um, more Lam singers were recruited to perform essentially propaganda for both sides. And then in the U.S., country music has often been a flashpoint in culture wars. Um, for example, the first question of the Republican presidential debates this year was about a country music song called Rich Men North of Richmond. You both know how powerful music can be, so how do you see yourselves fitting into those histories? 
<laughs> well, I can't speak for other artists, but I can only speak for myself. The young people gave me confidence and that after 20 years of my career, to finally think about what I believe in. Before, it's what too risky, if you know Thai politics. Today, I really can't believe how much I have helped change Thai Isan. My parents have LGBT flags at their church. <laughs> people show pride flag and people sing my songs. I'm happy to spread love and I hope Thailand pass marry equality soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's impact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Miko? Well, um, for me, uh, country music, my definition of country music has evolved and grown because I think the genre today is so, um, it's so small, mm. you know, as far as like, there's no room. There's, there's so much more gifted artists out there like Roots music, you know, Americana. That's more so like, I think where I fit after all these years of aging, I think I fit more into a, a genre that is all inclusive, that not, you can hear gospel in Americana, you can hear blues, you can hear country, you can hear roots music, you can hear all these things. And so I think, and I love country music, don't get me wrong, I love it, but I think my, the gift that I'm supposed to share has outgrown, hmm. has outgrown that, and so... I just I just have evolved as an artist, as a woman, as a mother. I've evolved in this way that I can't really um country music does not define me. I define me. And and I'm full of so many different things, you know. It's it's hard to just pinpoint everything into that one thing. Totally. I mean, I interview a lot of artists and musicians as a arts and culture journalist, and that's something I often hear from, especially women of color artists, that they don't fit into a neat definition of one genre. And that's fine for them, but then in terms of marketing and getting your songs and your music out there, like a lot of people don't know what to do with that if you don't fit neatly into one box. That's true, and I've experienced that, and but I'm kind of going with the flow, actually. I'm going with whatever. I'm going with wherever I'm being led. In a, like I was led here to do this with Tuka, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just I'm just riding the wave on us. I don't have an agenda. Like I'm just trying to share the music, whoever it resonates with. I'm not thinking about marketing so much. I'm not thinking about these plans. I'm thinking, what is your legacy? What are you leaving here for the people to have when you are gone? Like, what are you leaving? What is your footprint? That's the most important thing in my career now is what I'm leaving for the people to have. And what am I giving you? You know, how am I touching you? You know, marketing and business and making money, that's all good and fine. And I don't, I would like all those things, but it's not my motivator. 
you know, and it's so sad that you have to fit these little, check these boxes to be a part of, but I'm just going to check whatever boxes I want to check and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and this is a question for both of you again. Um, post hiatus, both of you have taken opportunities to be really upfront about the things you care about. You're both country music figures and more. Um, you can say humanists. Mm -hmm. uh, what was that leap intimidating or what made you feel like now was the time? <laughs> if the young LGBT in Thailand will risk their life for me, why can't I do the same? If my wife fight for me, I should fight for her. Mm. We have no time to waste. I'm ready to do more. I want the world to be better, and I want our future to be better. I share uh, Tutka's last com comments about wanting the world to be better. And um, what better way for me to do that is to speak about it, sing about it, talk about it, be about it. And um, it took me a long time, like I said, to get to this point. I had to grow into this. And life experiences of me being out in the world as a black woman, um, pursuing a mu musical career in country music, I learned a lot of things along the way. And some things that aren't right, I choose to use my voice as an instrument to speak to those things because I do want a better world and a better place. And I can, I can sing about love songs all day. I mean, he left me, he did me wrong. I could do that all day, but I think we have much better content to talk about and be about as far as the world is concerned. And... I'm appreciative of being in the space to be able to do that now. And Tukta, you mentioned this before, that you're seeing the impact in real time. People are singing your songs. There's pride flags now in, in your parents' church, for example. I'm wondering if you can say more about um, the people, the hearts and minds that you've touched. I'm proud to stand up for myself and my art. I hope other women and LGBT artists know they can fight for themselves. I am sharing Moram with the world today. You can enjoy Moram even though you don't speak or understand Thai. It is so beautiful. You can also speak up for equal rights. You can be yourself. Malam can be for everyone, too. Thank you. Nice. Did I answer? Like, I have a crown on my hand. <laughs> oh, no. So, um, so sorry. Sometimes I meet my answer. So, please be kind to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm really thought just... Um, the first time when I launched King Music will be only 
some of my friends, like 10 of them, were listening. <laughs> I'm really touched by my support and six, um, success of my songs. I performed the song for first time in Bangkok for Bangkok Pride. Over 100,000 people were there, and it was so special to see young people singing along Molam with me. And my hometown mayor play my song before meeting wow. <laughs> every morning. My mom taping that and sending video every day. She's so proud. And love has been shared. Love is love has been shared on TikTok over a 300 million time hashtag. Wow. <laughs> About that, we share love and thank you to everyone. You have never, I have never feel so full in my life. Thank you. <laughs> How about you, Miko? Uh, how have you I was seen all the into that answer. I'm, <laughs> what, I was just, I went on the ride with you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, like, can you talk about the impact that you've had on your audience, or have they reached out to you and been like, you know, your songs really spoke to me in this way? Yes, yes. I can say that. Performing now, as opposed to when I first started, there's an exchange, like there's a healing that takes place between me and my audience. And, and there's, a, there's this thing that happens, and it happens all the time. It's, it's a oneness that, that happens. We all like connect in this way that really is spiritual. Because I'm not just singing a song, it's 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 like my therapy, it's my church, it's my 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 root grounding of myself. And then I think that resonates a lot with people. And so the whole experience now has changed. Like it's just different. It's way more intimate. It's way more like we all we become one. And so I don't think I could have done that years ago. It had it it took growing and being to being able to open myself on this level like 3D open and then the audience feels that and so that's what that's what keeps me doing what I'm doing too and not that everything else matters but that exchange you can't put a price on it it's just too beautiful and too um too surreal to just, you know, it's worth more than money. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, another question for you, Miko. This summer, we saw news headlines um, about backlash um, and counter backlash across the country scene in the U.S. Uh, for example, megastar Luke Combs, he covered Tracy Chapman's fast car. He got a lot of criticism but also a lot of love. Um, then you had superstar Jason Aldean, another country superstar, who um, was accused of endorsing racial violence in a song that subsequently rose to number one on U.S. Billboard charts. 
So knowing your own experiences and the communities you touch and speak to through your music, um, what's your sense of what country is and who is it for? Or what else can country be? There we go. That's the question, what else can country be? Because it's bigger than what it stands for and who it is, who is it for right now. Um, those two uh, scenarios, you know, I try to look at the glass half full, even though I know it's not. But in my mind, I try to try to see the positive in everything. When really, right now, country music is at a crossroads. Like, it has some choices to make. It can stay with what you say. It can stay with party line. Or it can learn to integrate and change and grow and move and level up. And I'm hoping for the latter. I really am. But in the meantime... I'm going to keep doing the music that I do, touching the people that I can touch. And, um, you know, because music is powerful. I remember, I'm going to share this real quick story because it kind of goes along this line. I was doing a show in Maine, and I had never been to Maine. And Maine, it seemed like, don't go to Maine. (laughs) Um, So I was in Maine, and I was at this place that was beautiful it was like a house but it was like enchanted in this way but anyway the audience is in there and everybody's enjoying the music this one lady is over in the corner and she's standing to the side and her arms are folded and she's just mean grimacing the entire show the entire show I was like so I'm getting racist vibes I'm just like oh I'm not supposed to be here she doesn't like it it's not a good thing and she did that the entire show. And I just was like, channel, channel your spirit and let that out. Like, cl- cover her in that. You know, like, cover all that. And so at the end of the night, I saw this woman. And she came up to me and she said, I really enjoyed your show. And then, but that's all she said. And she left. And the way she said it was like she didn't want to say it, but she had to. <laughs> Wow. And so I'm just saying, like, I'm just going to stay the course because if you keep, if you look sideways, you can get distracted easily. So um, I think country music has a lot of work to do, but I'm not sticking around to see if they're going to do it or not. Time is a waste and clock is a ticking on life and I want to get it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm Mm-hmm. And Tukta, for you, um, after receiving reaction to your new music, um, who do you think Malam is for, and where does the genre fit in a changing Thailand? Yeah, Malam is for the world, I thought. (laughs) It should not be just music in the West that is for everyone. I believe after tonight, there will be a new fan for Malam. (laughs) People who believe being poor is not right. Equally is for everyone. Everyone should have love. And young generation will put a country they fit in. We should meet them maybe to not just agree all that all the time, but 
we can active together for our future. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps it up for our question portion. Um, but if you have burning questions, I'd invite you during the reception to approach the artists and ask them for yourself. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey.